Jacqueline Avant was a force many times over in Black Los Angeles and beyond. She was a renowned philanthropist, a political king and queen maker, a patron of the arts, wife, mother, a friend to community activists and U.S. presidents alike. Last week, an intruder fatally shot her in her Beverly Hills home. Tributes from across the world have poured in ever since. To mark a life ended too soon. I'm Gustavo Ariano. You're listening to The Times, daily news from the LA Times. It's Wednesday, December 8th, 2021. Today, we devote our episode to the life and legacy of Jacqueline Avon, who was 81 years old. We'll hear from one of my LA Times colleagues who has been covering her killing and its aftermath. And we'll also hear from someone who knew Jacqueline personally, not just as a VIP, but as someone who wanted to help others. In 2019, Netflix released a documentary called The Black Godfather. It's about legendary music executive Clarence Avon. Jacqueline plays a big role in it because Clarence was her husband. Just a short list of their friends. Bill and Hillary Clinton, Magic Johnson, the Obamas. Jacqueline's killing has rocked multiple strata of Southern California life and beyond. And this includes her friend of nearly 20 years, LA community leader, Maddie McFadden Lawson. She did not take her privilege for granted. She shared it. As a matter of fact, if you really didn't know her and she's in a room, you would never know that she is Jacqueline Avant. We met in May of 2003 at Morehouse College at a reception. We had such an incredible gathering and we just bonded there and we left saying we will make sure when we get back to Los Angeles we will be in touch and that was the start of the friendship. She knew exactly when to call. Those moments I would be down or just dealing you know with some minor cold or not feeling that great and life in general, because you know, sometimes life will just wear you down. And she would call and say, Maddie, I'm thinking of you. And is everything okay? And I said, I'm feeling a little down today. And she said, well, you know what? Why don't we go and have lunch? As a matter of fact, our last time together was just past Thanksgiving Eve. And we talked about how, you know, we just had this connection and how our relationship was so special and that we felt that we were earth angels. You know, we were sent here to do this work, to be supportive, to lift as we climb and to support those who have less in life and let them know that they could be the best that they could be and help them on that journey. Jackie knew that she had her own sense of agency, regardless of what Clarence was doing. And and we know for a fact, he is legendary. And for someone to exist in that space and to be married for so long, you know that she was coming from a place of security. She knew who she was. She had established her interests shortly after moving here, which was volunteering at LACMA. That is the Los Angeles County uh, Museum of Art. 
because she came from New York and, and the arts and culture, uh, they are just in your DNA. So when she got here and she settled, she decided she was going to be a volunteer at LACMA and then later became a docent and was a docent for the Japanese wing at LACMA. And that's where she got her training and quite frankly, her expertise. Art, literature, education. She was very much concerned about education. Philanthropy, you know, that was another bond between us because she was the person who really gave of the three T's that people often speak of, your time, your treasure, your talent. And she did it unconditionally. Jacqueline Avant served on many charitable boards, including the UCLA Dashu Center for International Students and Scholars, the National Organization for Women's Entertainment Division, and the Neighbors of Watts. She was also instrumental in the opening of a major hospital in South Los Angeles. The hospital is Martin Luther King Hospital and Willowbrook. And she cared deeply about healthcare and got involved with supporting that effort. And Jackie just made that one of her focal points. She wasn't one to have meetings and discuss things. She was completely action-oriented. And that's a rare breed because sometimes we talk an issue to death. And it wasn't just about the financial input. It was about her deep caring about communities of color. She wasn't one to sit back and judge anyone. It goes with the saying of, uh, she met you where you were. I, I call it quiet power. She stood in her power. She knew her worth. And she had her own journey. Because let's face it, in this city, for the most part, that is how you manage to survive. So oftentimes, and especially with someone like uh, Jacqueline Avant, people approach you with an agenda. And it's about the agenda. It's never about really getting to know the person. It's never really about having conversations that could lift and encourage and inspire. Sometimes can be all about me, you know? Um, and I think I'll, oftentimes that could be driven by the fact that this is an industry, you know, related uh, city. And a lot of people come here with certain goals in mind and it's almost like they have on blinders. They don't necessarily see you. She loved her family dearly. She loved Alex, their only son, Nicole, their only daughter. And she was always supportive of Clarence and his undertakings. And we know that they were many. If anything, I would say we have to shift the narrative with respect to with every successful man, there's always a successful woman behind him. I think with every successful man, there's a successful woman beside him because you're walking in lockstep in order for that to happen. And they were always walking in lockstep. And she was never threatened by who he was because she was so focused on the many, many things she was working on and the difference that she was making. And I think all of that is coming to full view now that she's no longer with us. And, and clearly she's going to be missed because she was just this incredible woman who, in a lot of ways, I'm convinced, just lifted up the sky. So she leaves behind so many people who 
are mourning this loss and is such a deep, deep loss. And as I have spoken with people, I have said that now our responsibility is to allow Jackie's energy and her light to flow through us. We'll have more after this break. LA Times reporter Richard Winton is part of the team that has covered Jacqueline's life. Richard, welcome to the Times. Thank you. What's Jacqueline's story, her background, her career, her life before becoming, quote, Jacqueline Avant? She's uh, a woman who grew up in a period where Obviously, race was even more of an obvious factor. And she's kind of moved up and up and up in her life. I mean, it's like, this is a person who could make calls, connect people. President Obama, you know, credits her with giving him the sort of entry into the world of politics, which allowed him to rise up in the scale of things. She's a power player whose name isn't super well known to the public, but she was incredibly influential. And it spreads from Beverly Hills to Watts. She's like one of those people who moves in all those circles. Yeah, she grew up on the East Coast, was a model, and then met Clarence Avant, who was a music executive. And they married in 1967 and moved to Beverly Hills. And their estate became this legendary nexus where Hollywood politics, the arts, and beyond converged. How did they use their influence? I mean, literally, they were the gatekeepers. They gave particularly young black politicians a fundraising base, which is so important in American politics. And they became very, very influential using their music industry connections to essentially turn into a political connection. And so, you know, they were power players in the Clinton era. Then they helped push Obama financially tremendously. And so they become the person you kind of go to. And you mentioned Obama, but we're talking going back to the election of the first black mayor of Los Angeles, Tom Bradley. We're talking about the election of former California governor Jerry Brown. I mean, this is not just it's it's interesting to see how Jacqueline influenced on that local level to, as you said, international level. With Bradley, she's one of those people who made that key coalition between the West Side and the black community, which kind of put Bradley into power. She's like one of the key sort of connections between all that. And people will really go to them when they need connections, especially beyond the usual political base. When you want to reach into the music industry, the entertainment industry, I mean, their family is literally tied to almost everything in entertainment and music. And what was so telling about Jacqueline is, as you're talking about she occupied this rarefied world in the West Side, the richer part of Los Angeles. But she had a whole other side that didn't get as much publicity. And that part we're talking about focusing on helping nonprofits and community groups in South Los Angeles and beyond. Yeah, I mean, at the time of her death, she was working on raising money for bicycles in Watts with sweet Alice Harris. I mean, she's constantly active in those communities and someone who community activists go to when they need that sort of money, connection, the Hollywood, the entertainment, the music industry. She's the person who, you know, people knew they could rely on. So, Richard, the killing of Jacqueline, what do we know about it so far? Well, what we know is this. 
We know that on a night like many others, she was at home in a house, it's a big, pretty big house, Trousdale Estates, nice house, she and Clarence. There was also a security guard on the premises. On that night, based on what the police say, a young man armed with a AR-15 style rifle came to the house, what seems to be a burglary in progress, some point, she either came upon him or he came upon her, and he fired, discharged that weapon. The resulting injuries were bad. They managed to get her to the hospital, but she died there. He, based on video footage and other information that Beverly Hills police have, he flees in a car. He drives east towards Hollywood. Once in Hollywood, he apparently starts capering another house, and somehow... He accidentally shoots himself in the foot with the same rifle he shot Jacqueline with. He's, he's so badly wounded, a young 17-year-old woman hears, hears him moaning in the backyard, calls 911. He too apparently calls 911, knowing he's in real trouble here because he just put a pretty good-sized round through his foot. Cops come, watch commanders looking at the information, puts two and two together, tells Beverly Hills PD. Pretty soon, they realize, hey, that's the same weapon. Guess what? That car you've got over there seems to match the one we've got dashing away. Jacqueline's death came at a time where there's a lot of media attention about crimes targeting wealthier neighborhoods in Los Angeles and also luxury stores. Yeah, I mean... This kind of is the least probably likely crime you could have occur in Los Angeles. She's targeted in terms of like probably her wealth, but not like her individuality from what we can see at this point. And obviously, this is kind of comes at a time of growing alarm. So we've seen these kind of short term trends of like these new kind of more violent interactions on the street. And then people going to people's home. We, at the same time, we've also seen these kind of very uh, publicized smash and grab, flash mob kind of attacks on big stores. Now, those two, I don't really think they're related in any true sense. But, you know, in the zeitgeist of things, people are kind of like, oh, something's going on. Now, whether things really going on in terms of that, I mean, there's more underlying, more important crime trend, which Mrs. Lamont's murder you know, really goes to, which is there's a lot more murders going on in the last two years. In COVID, we have seen a massive surge in murder. I mean, it's significant and it basically set us back a whole decade. We've been massive decline over the years. And also, though, what I'm seeing is that because these crimes are happening in wealthier neighborhoods, it gets far more media attention than it would, say, if it's happening in South Los Angeles or East Los Angeles or among communities of color. Oh, yeah. There's no doubt about it. I mean, obviously, Mrs. Avant's murder got a lot of attention, but there were dozens of murders in the last year, dozens of ones where the people were just entirely innocent. They were shot on the street. They were misidentified. You know, and most of those happen predominantly in areas like the bands of South Los Angeles and Central LA. And Beverly Hills rarely ever has a homicide. I mean, literally, I can look over the last five years, I think there's been one. Finally, Richard, how do you think Jacqueline Avant's going to be remembered? 
I think it's her legacy is all all what she did for others and connecting people who are activists or giving people a platform who couldn't get a platform normally or financially helping them be in the position to go somewhere. People like you know President Obama, people like that, who they needed sort of a, a leg up. The activist kind of turned politician really in Los Angeles can't get that far unless they have financial support. Money politics is really important. And I think she's probably going to be known for like giving those people access. And she's also going to be remembered for giving other activists access. And she didn't put her name out there. She didn't seek to be famous. But that's probably how she's remembered by most people who actually knew her or knew of her sort of work in general. Richard, thank you so much for this conversation. Thank you. Jacqueline Avon is survived by her husband, a sister, and two children. In lieu of flowers, her family requests that donations be made to the MLK Health and Wellness Development Corporation. Jacqueline Avon, rest in power. And that's it for this episode of The Times, daily news from the LA Times. Tomorrow, the annual tradition known as Miss Navajo Nation. Our show is produced by Shannon Lynn, Denise Guerra, Kasha Brosalian, and Melissa Kaplan. Our engineer is Mario Diaz. Our editor is Lauren Rapp. Our executive producers are Hasmin Aguilera and Shawnee Hilton. And our theme music is by Andrew Epen. Special thanks to Erica D. Smith, Jim Rainey, and the LA Times reporters investigating the story. You can read all their work at latimes.com. I'm Gustavo Ariano. We'll be back tomorrow with all the news in Desmadre. Gracias.